So according to Luke, Jesus was tempted. And it seems by the end of this uh, particular narrative that temptation uh, was always a possibility for Jesus because we're told that at an opportune time, Satan, the adversary, waited for um, another moment to tempt him. Here at the beginning of the season of Lent, this season of reflection and prayer and preparation for our annual celebration of the Feast of Easter, what does it mean for us that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? What difference does it make for the way we live our lives some 2,000 years later trying to follow this man who we were told today was in the wilderness tempted by Satan? What difference do Jesus' temptations make for us? Uh, obviously, I don't know about you, but I've never had that experience. Like, no one's ever come to me, some tempter or demon or adversary, to say, hey, if you'll turn these stones into bread, or throw yourself off the top of the temple, or you see the kingdoms of the world, they can all be yours. Never happened to me. I don't know about you. Um, so what difference does it make that Jesus was tempted? We're not preaching a, a sermon series, per se, during the season of Lent, but, but I do have in mind that as we journey over these next several weeks together on our way to Holy Week and, and to Easter, we will be reflecting um, a bit upon, among other things, the call to live a cross-shaped, a Christ-shaped life. And, and in that regard, Lent is a gift. It's a gift of time and space to, to pray, to reflect, to worship and study and serve, to think about our life with Christ. It's a time to ask God for forgiveness for all the ways that we've fallen short of being the people God longs for us to be, to acknowledge the ways in which our love has become disordered, and for God to, to do whatever God will with us to change and transform and mold and shape our lives that we might come to love more like God with the perfect love of God. In this holy season, we the church are invited once again to devote ourselves anew to following Jesus who today we learn was tempted in the wilderness. We're called to live a better story for the world. And my, doesn't our world need a better story? To move from a self-centered life to living a Christ-shaped life. To having those parts of us which keep us from, from loving as God loves, put to death, buried with Christ, in order that God might then raise us to the fullness of a new quality of life. To be our best selves. Lent is a gift it's an opportunity to acknowledge all the ways that we've given in to our own temptations. To put ourselves, our wants, our desires first, ahead of God's desire for us. So Luke tells us that on the way to the cross, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was tempted. Karl Barth, the great 20th century Swiss theologian, was once asked... Dr. Bart, do you hear the serpent's voice? 
recalling the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve and that story. Do you hear the serpent's voice? To which Dr. Bart simply replied, I do, every day. Now, um, that was not, Bart didn't hear voices. Um, to my knowledge, he, he um, didn't have that as an issue in his life. But it was his way of saying, um, yes, I'm tempted regularly, often, to deny who I am, to turn my back on the God who loves me, to choose myself over God's will and way, and to choose me over my neighbor. Yes, I hear that voice every day. And in some way, we all hear that voice, the, the nudge or the, the push the internal wrestling to seek our own way, to, to control rather than to love, to, to judge rather than to accept, to exclude rather than to welcome. In a word, to avoid the way of Jesus, God's um, embodied, excessive, prodigal love for the world. You see, the thing about temptation is that it, it is often uh, subtle and even attractive. Most of us are not tempted to do horrible things. We're tempted to do things that seem attractive and maybe even good. Love someone. Make money. Be a success. Follow our dreams. The problem is when these good things take the place of God. We might even ask, what's wrong with turning stones into bread? Or with Jesus ruling the world or demonstrating God's power through miracles? The problem, Jesus seems to say, is when we are tempted to do those things for our own benefit, for our own power, for our own popularity, rather than as a way of pointing people to God. The problem is when life or church or faith become about me and my agenda rather than about God and our neighbors and God's agenda for the world. And so Jesus says, I'll have none of that. And then lives a different way. Now, I, I want to be clear as we think about temptation. Temptation is not the same thing as sin. Right? These are not the same. Quite often, we, the way we talk about them, think about them, it seems as if they're, they're the same, they're equated, but they're not. Temptation and sin are, are not the same. Fred Craddock notes that, that we really have no control over um, and, and we're not responsible for the images, say, that arise in our minds or our spontaneous moods. We're never free of those things. It's what Paul says, it's, it, that's a part of being in the flesh, part of being human. But when we seize hold of that emotion or that image or that thought and we brood on it and we feed it and we encourage it, then we become responsible. Then temptation is moving over into actual sin. I mean, you all know as well as I do that a vague dislike for another person, we all feel that from time to time. No one in the room, of course, or watching online, but we all feel that every now and then. That vague di dislike if, um, you know, can easily be fanned into an active resentment. A nudge of envy 
can easily be turned into vicious gossip. And a harmless physical attraction to people who are physically attractive, God made physically attractive people, um, that can so easily become an obsession if those thoughts are given free reign. When we feed our temptations, uh, that's the point where temptation starts to become disordered love. That is, if given free reign, if, if given control over our lives, temptation can become sin. To desiring and, and loving things or people or emotions rather than loving God. If you recall our series for a moment, just these past several weeks on the story of the father who had two sons, all of that pain, all the dysfunction in that family, all the division and brokenness, all because their love was disordered. They had given temptation free reign. And it destroyed that family. That, that really is, after all, what sin is. Um, not a litmus test of do's and don'ts so that we can decide who the good people are and who the bad people are, but loving people or things or feelings with the love that we're supposed to give to God and to God alone. And so Jesus in the wilderness says, no, I'll not give the love that God and God alone deserves to other things. I'm going to show you a different way of being human. The other thing about temptation is that it's often not obvious. You know, I, I, again, I, Satan hasn't ever come to me to say, hey, I'm Satan and I'm here to tempt you today. Um, no, it, it often looks and sounds familiar. I mean, think about this. You remember the words, get behind me, Satan? Who did Jesus say that to? Not an enemy. It was to Peter, his friend. At the heart of, of temptation are, are offers to not to fall, but to rise. Uh, the tempter in Eden didn't ask, do you want to become like the devil? No, the tempter said, do you want to be like God? And then in the wilderness, Jesus heard, if you really are the Son of God, I mean, there's nothing in any of that of the debauchery that we often associate with temptation uh, as one writer notes, no self-respecting tempter would, would approach a person with offers of personal, social, or professional ruin. I mean, who would sign on for that? That's all in the small print. We're often tempted at the point of our, our greatest strength. Like Jesus, we're tempted to rely upon ourselves, to succeed for ourselves, rather than relying upon the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And so Lent can be a course correction. Gives us the time and space to be honest about all the ways in which we are tempted and to confess and acknowledge the ways we maybe have given in to some of those temptations and then allow God to reorder our love and our lives. Jesus was tempted. So are we. Tempted to deny God, to deny the way of the cross, to, de to love ourselves more than God and our neighbor. And Jesus wants us to see that the real question is not, will you be tempted, but what will you do when it comes? When Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, 
the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and a voice was heard saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with him I am well pleased. And then Jesus is driven out into the wilderness where he was tempted, just as the children of Israel, that Scripture is not ever by accident the way it's written, recall the children of Israel, given their holy vocation in Egypt, passed through the waters, again, the waters of baptism, into the wilderness to become God's holy people. And it's there that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, our Lenten journey, and the tempter came to him and said, you know, you look pretty hungry. You can turn some stones into bread, feed yourself. The temptation to be relevant. To which Jesus says, well, of course, hungry people need to eat, but they need more than that. They need their spirits fed by the word of God. And then the tempter says, well, hey, you know, if, if you'd like, um, you can throw yourself off the top of this temple. We know the angels will come and, and care for you the temptation to be popular, to do something spectacular, to draw attention. And Jesus says, no, you really shouldn't put God to the test like that. And, and finally, Jesus was led to a high mountain, shown the kingdoms of the world, and the tempter said, all of these can be yours. The temptation to be powerful. And Jesus said, no, you worship God and God alone. In his wonderful little book, In the Name of Jesus, I mentioned it, I think, a week or two ago. Do get a copy and read it. Um, Henry Nouwen says that um, in life we are told over and over again that, that relevance, popularity, and power are our vocations, callings, that we should pursue in order to live the good life. When in reality, Jesus demonstrates that they're actually distractions that throw us off course from loving well. Christ asks us not, do you want to be in charge, in control, powerful, popular, relevant? Christ simply says, do you love me? And if you do, feed my sheep. Our calling, our vocation, is simply to, to love God with all that we have and all that we are. To love our neighbors, including our enemies, as much as we love ourselves. And then to love God's good creation, as God alone loves it. And in so doing, we let this weary world know that there's a better way to be human. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus was tempted as I'm often tempted, tempted to forget who I am, who I'm called to be, to allow my love to become disordered, hear the serpent's voice every day almost, to make life about me, to make ministry about me, to seek relevance rather than, than faithfulness, to pursue popularity over obedience, to, to, choose, um, to choose power over humble service. And it sometimes feels like we're alone in that wilderness. But the good news today, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is there too. And he offers a remedy, a path forward, a way to a more full and complete life. Prayer, 
service, God's Word, study, reflection, all the disciplines needed. And so with, um, with ash on our foreheads, that's how we begin this season. We move on like Jesus to Galilee and then to Capernaum, to Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth and to the inmost places of our hearts. We make the wilderness journey to become more and more like Christ. And the great good news is, God goes with us. Amen.